what's happening in the canine industry. For all the latest news, views and expert opinions, stay right here for the canine paradigm. You'll hear from industry leaders, experts, doyens of the industry, learned colleagues, movers and shakers, and the odd Randy guest. Get the latest insights and expert advice from both here and abroad from the people in the know. Now, here are your hosts, Glenn Cook and Pat Stewart. And I'm Lofty Fulton, and I'm out of here. And we're live. And we're also recording at a boarding kennel, so uh, if you hear dogs barking during this podcast, there's a good reason for that. Uh, so, Glenn Cook, what are we doing here? We are beginning our second round of podcast, and uh, there's a reason why we're doing our second round, so do you want to explain why that is? Uh, well, we had this idea to start a podcast. You had an idea to start a podcast a while ago. Um, we It was almost a year ago, actually. It was almost exactly a year ago, we recorded a couple of episodes. I think about seven. And then we just <laughs> never got around to releasing it, never created the website, never... We had the artwork done by Damon Jennings did us the artwork, um, and we had a name that we've since changed. And uh, your lovely wife did the original... Yeah, Jane Drew it. Yeah, Jane Drew it. And by the way, you're listening to Pat Stewart, who is my co-host on this podcast. Hello. Hi. Um, yeah, so Jane Drew it. It's a picture of... Because uh, in our first one, we spoke about our dogs. I'm sure we're going to talk about it again, our first dogs. Um, and yours is your your dog, Harley. It's a picture of him and my dog, Ryder. Um, yeah, so I'm sure people... We, we did a lot of work and then we just never did it. So we decided to start all over again. Um, and here we are. And here we are. So um, the, the name of our new podcast or, or this series of podcasts is going to be called The Canine Paradigm. Canine Paradigm. So uh, we're going to... Um, hopefully discuss all matter of topics regarding canines, especially around the, the training side of things. But, um, you know, with podcasts, they're organic and they uh, evolve into all sorts of things. So hopefully we'll have some fun as we're doing a podcast, um, which is what we both want to do. Um, our whole idea around getting a series together is to sit down and um, enjoy ourselves and uh, Possibly talk about some hard topics from time to time and also interview some cool people. Yeah. Um, and just, I think the main thing is to have fun with it. Mm. Um, just a bit of a platform for Australian dog people to um, get some news out if they want to. Um, you know, break down some topics that we think is relevant. Um, yeah, and mostly have fun doing it. So by now we probably have a, a website. Uh, you've registered canineparadigm.com. Yeah, yeah the, the site is registered. So um, hopefully... Um, we can get things going. And by now, if you're hearing this, it's up, right? By now, if you're hearing this, it's up. Yeah. yeah. So we'll we'll be on. Uh, we'll have our uh, website, the Canine Paradigm, uh, and we'll also have the Facebook site. So you'll be able to uh, join in, leave comments, um, follow us. Hopefully, hopefully, we'll get a following of more than two people, which is us. us. Our yeah. wives will follow. Our wives will follow. So that's four. Yeah. So we've immediately got four, and I'll probably be able to uh, coerce some of my staff in. So that's and uh, my dad. My dad. Your dad? My dad follows me on Instagram. So okay, well, that's... He'll follow me here. That's, that's pretty important if you get your dad in. Um, so, yeah, we'll, we'll at least we'll have a following of 12-plus of people. Perfect. Okay. It's worth it then. Um, so, when we did this last time, we, we, we 
broke the open it really into two episodes and I'm keen to do that again. We'll talk about who are we just so that we can get that out of the way. People understand if you don't know us, why the hell we're talking into microphones and, and think that we're worth listening to. Um, and we did, we could do an episode on, on you, Glenn, mm. uh, talk about how you came to be in the position you're in, which is we're sitting in your house right now on uh, Pet Resorts Australia at Dural, yep. uh, where you're the general manager, and mm -hmm. how you came to be sitting here. And then um, another time we can talk about me, and we'll get that out of the way so people know who we are, and then we can move forward and talk about some canine topics and that sort of thing. Of course, it'll be dog talk the whole way through because that's our story and how we came to be here. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's yeah. It'd be good to um, I think um, give people a bit of an overview of who we are because I mean, obviously, some people who are listening to this are already going to know who we are. Um, and yet there'll be people out there who have no idea who we are. So, yeah, I think uh, introduction's only fair. Perfect. Mm. So, Glenn Cook, who are you? I'm Batman. <laughs> <laughs> I've always wanted to use that line. I just had the perfect moment to perfect. do it. And 12 people heard it. Considering we were just listening to Bane recordings. Yeah, <laughs> yeah 12 people heard it and now know that I'm Batman. So, um, just be careful. if I'm there and um, Batman's not, you'll know why he's not there. Exactly. Yeah. Um, okay, so... How did you start in dogs? Okay, well, I've been in dogs. Well, I've been, had a had a um, an interest in dogs for pretty much most of my life. My original dog, our family dog, was a German Shepherd called China, and um, she was probably the dog that got me interested in in the evolution of dogs. Full stop. Um, not only that, it was my uncle Lee. Um, who was pretty much like a father figure to me when I was a kid. He used to have hunting dogs all the time. So he had a Waimarana called uh, Rani and, uh, you know, he was a hunter, fisher, and he used to take the dogs out. And I spent most of my childhood time with him um, going out hunting, fishing, um, learning basically how to be a man, even though that's a taboo topic these days. Um Already started with taboo topics. Yeah, we can do a podcast on that. We can do a podcast on that. So yeah, we um we spent a fair bit of time uh, together, and uh, he was um, you know I used to watch him doing retrieving work with the dogs, and it was absolutely fascinating watching the level of control he had over a dog. You know, take her out in the field, she'd be completely off leash, and following us around, um, waiting for him to um, to shoot something, and then. Uh, you know, she'd run off and retrieve it and bring it back, and you know that night we'd be eating what we what we shot. Um, so it wasn't just pure sport for people out there who were already horrible. Yeah, it wasn't just murder and slaughter. So um, for people out there, you know, our twelve plus audience that are concerned about that, um, which is kind of ridiculous these days that you got to start exactly. with. Yeah, but um, that yeah that that um, created my fascination how dogs work, how they communicate with us, um, and from there. It, um, it evolved into something a little bit more serious. Um, in my um, early adult life, I purchased a Rottweiler called Harley, a Rottweiler Cross, I should say. It was a Rottweiler Cross. I actually purchased him as a Rottweiler, but found later that he was a Rottweiler Cross. And um, I was living in a shared home with a, with a couple of mates, and uh, we started uh, raising and, and training him from there. And um, it was just by fluke that I met um, a guy called uh, Boyd Hooper who um, became a, a mentor of mine and started teaching me uh, about law enforcement, personal protection um, and just general obedience. 
So I, um, I went down to Boyd School. I was actually uh, training at his gym. He had a kickboxing gym in, um, in uh, Bayswater in Victoria. And uh, when I first met him, people were telling me that Boyd was heavily involved in dogs. And I used to say, okay, I assumed it was greyhounds and left it at that. Um, because most people in that sort of field were involved in either racing dogs or something like that. So I just never thought anything of it. And uh, I remember one day I was sitting uh, doing some stretches in the gym and I was talking to Boyd and I said, um, you know, he said, oh, what have you been up to? And I said, oh, just training my dog. And he said, where are you training your dog? And I said, oh, I've just started with a group down the road. And he said, mate, why aren't you training with me? I've got a training centre. That's what I specialise in. And uh, he said, what breed is it? I said, oh, he's a Roddy Cross. He said, mate, you know, come down. You know, this, this Thursday night we've got a group of first-timers. You should get down there and get involved in it. So I head down and... Um, Met the crew down there, met some fantastic people actually, um, one of those people being Kylie Bright, um, who is a, a, a long time and a dear friend of mine, she's a lovely lady. Uh, she was my original puppy person. She started training me and, and Harley in the early days and has since become uh, a, a, a treasured friend, great person for raising puppies, like absolutely sensational. Uh, I know that she's still involved in um, doing some raising work for, for police dogs and so forth, so mm -hmm. um, they usually send them to her to kickstart them and so forth. But, uh, yeah, just just absolutely fantastic person. So I met her and, and a few of the crew down there and um, started training my own dog, and that was the original evolution of the NDTF, the National Dog Trainers Federation. So the NDTF kickstarted around about that time. So... The pilot course that was running, I was actually going to sit on that course. However, um, due to my interest in my own dog and his training progress, I decided to opt out of the first original pilot course and I started on the, the second course. So the official second course of the NDTF, once I saw the pilot and saw how much fun everyone was having, I thought to myself, this actually looks pretty cool. And Boyd and I had a discussion that a, a few times and he said, mate, you've got a, a bit of a knack. Excuse me, I'm just going to clear my throat. <coughs> Live on. <coughs> we need to find a pause button. We need to find a pause button. Or I've got a mute button on the mic, but we all just got to hear me clearing out. It's good. Phlegm, which is... It's good. It's, it's all part of it. It's all part of it. So um, I got to sit on the uh, second official... Um, NDTF course, which was absolutely fantastic. I um, I was training um, Harley at the time. I was also um, just starting to train with uh, Boyd's company, which is Australian Dog Training, or was Australian Dog Training. So I started cutting my teeth on learning how to become a dog trainer while I was doing the course and um, training my, my own dog at the time. Funny thing for me is that... Um, it not only became an interest, it also became an obsession. So I started um, obsessing over training my dog. I was there um, any hour of the day I could be. I was sitting uh, in the field watching the guys train and listening to, you know, all the um, older guys training dogs and talking about training till 3, 4 in the morning and then getting up for work at 7 o'clock. So going home, having three hours sleep and then getting back into it, obsessing all day about getting back to dog training again. So uh, I knew... What, what were you doing for work then? Uh, I was an electrician. Mm -hmm. So I started as, a, as, as an electrician. Um, I was working, um, which I liked at the start, but um, progressively didn't like. Did found, just found it wasn't a career that I was overly interested in, like most people do. You start in a career uh, and you move into different things. So 
fortunately, I had um, a good transition into another career choice that I had a lot of interest in. Um, for me, it just felt right. Mm-hmm. There was a there was a good fit there from the beginning, and I realised pretty soon that this was something that I actually did want to do, not something that I was uh, should have been avoiding, like I had been for a long time. But um, I, I I kind of felt um, back then that it would have been disappointing for my family to leave something that they thought I was going to do well in, and <coughs> there's that throat again, and um, move into something that. Um, wasn't seen as being socially acceptable. Um, what, why was it not socially acceptable? Well, I just had a, a, an oppressive grandmother that um, was pretty much the um, the um, matriarch of the family, mm-hmm. and uh, she didn't see things like that as being an acceptable career choice. Okay. So for her, training dogs was um, not not cool, and I was pretty influenced by my grandmother as a as a young bloke, some people are, some people don't don't care. But um, you know, we're going back twenty seven odd years ago now. So she kind of got in my ear and said, you know, look, that would be disappointing for me to find out that you are training dogs full time. So, so you're uh, part of a secret underground dog training ring. Pretty much to hide it. From yeah, it was like um, Fight Club for for dogs. Dog yeah, couldn't talk about it. Yeah, right. Um, the only time that she found it acceptable was when she saw me on the on the TV, and um, when she saw me on the TV being interviewed, then all of a sudden um, I was a family celebrity, so it was okay to do that. She was kind of disappointed that I was doing it moonlighting as a trainer, but um, also kind of excited that um, she saw a family member that she could brag about being on a TV show. So, um, how long between? getting Harley and realising that you enjoy training dogs and coming into it to someone actually paying you to train their dog or be involved in the training of their dog? So I would say Harley was probably about 18 months before I seriously got into training with ADT. And by that time, um, I was midway through NDTF and Boyd approached me and offered me full-time work to come and run his kennel and um, and be one of the, uh, like their regular staff at Australian Dog Training. So I was um, I was employed as um, as a junior at that stage. Mm-hmm. Um, another guy called Greg was uh, was running the kennels and um, was one of the seniors at the at the training center. So I came on board as a junior. Um, I was working with uh, with Greg a fair bit, and um, I yeah I was actually earning a full time living. Um, probably about uh, 12 months into it. So I was probably around about 21, 22 years of age when mm-hmm. I started working full-time. So, you know, I was earning a full-time wage. Um, and if we can talk about that, how old are you now? 47. Right. So what's the maths on that? I've got a rule, never do maths in public. It's about 20, 26, 27 years. Right. Okay. So it's a long, long Yeah, time thanks, mate. Out. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's... Um, but yeah. there's a lot of, like, in, in that sort of time frame, a lot of dogs go under the bridge, right? Like, you've trained a lot of dogs, seen a lot of, a lot of, a lot of comings and goings of people, a lot of uh, revivals and uh, extensions of techniques. Uh, Absolutely. The changeover of the industry from one thing to another to another to another um, to lead it to where it is now and probably being influential in that in at least the Australian part, right? 
I know this sounds like an, a bit of an oxymoron saying this, but we're in the best and worst of times of training dogs at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason I say we're in the best of it is because I think um, the understanding and certainly my understanding of, of dog training, I don't think has ever been as efficient as it ever has in the entire time I've done it. I, you, you, when you begin training with a group of people, and, and don't get me wrong, I don't say this as an insult, I actually just say this as, as you know, just to coin that phrase again, the evolution of what you're doing. But when I first started, um, I found that you, you, I had a very good base knowledge of what I was doing. Um, I, was, I was surrounded by some um, exceptional people and I learned an exceptional foundation, but you're still somewhat sheltered because you're still learning from um, one source. Whereas now I'm um, I'm proactive in, in listening to a lot of people. There's there's still a lot of uh, what I would call inefficient or garbage training out there. Um, there's still a lot of people who are um, preaching from old school textbooks, or they're just preaching straight from you know um, emotive topics. However, um, going back to the original point is that. Um, Boyd and, and, and the crew that I was training with were very affluent in um, researching techniques, mm-hmm. in spending time. Um, Boyd and, a, and a, quite a lot of those guys were, were traveling to the United States. They were learning from people like um, Dr. Stuart Hilliard, Tom Rose, um, to name uh, a few people who at that time were some of the best dog trainers around, you know, or some of the most successful trainers. And Stuart Hilliard was... Um, part of the Lieberg group when Lieberg was uh, in its infancy. Funny thing, just talking to um, Ed Frawley, thought I'd drop that as a celebrity. Just a name drop. Just a name drop. So I was speaking to uh, Ed Frawley because I just got back from the IACP in in um, uh, St. Louis. They just had the conference over there and um, I was talking to Ed about that original point. I know I'm digressing from the original point, but, um, you know, um, it's your story. Tell it how you yeah, like yeah, it. that's true. We were talking about how in um, in Australia, because we were, you know, being so far away from everybody, whereas the Europeans had um, neighbouring countries that they can move to, and you know, um, the states are um, such a diverse um, group of of states that they had a lot of um, range and a lot of ability to move around and experiment and work with neighbouring states, neighbouring countries, etc. Um, whereas Australia, we've been fairly isolated. However, we did have good access to training systems through Libre. We were watching VHS tapes um, that we were buying of, of um, anybody who was uh, around in that age, and Stuart was one of the prominent people. And uh, and, and may I say, um, a very good dog trainer when he was uh, proactive in it. He's now a, um, in his uh, adult life went on to getting his uh, PhD in animal psychology and behaviour. So obviously the guy knows what he's talking about. And um, yeah, so from there we used to sit around in groups, watching videos, um, reading books together, and then comparing notes on them, um, bringing the dogs out, um, trial and error with with training techniques. So for me it was, as I say, it was a brilliant foundation with some fantastic people. And you know Boyd, who's still a great friend of mine. Um, he's like a like a brother to me. He's uh, I would still have to say that um, academically, he's probably one of the brightest people I know in the country in animal behaviour. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, he is a very very 
proactive guy in, in reading and, and maintaining fresh. But, you know, it's it's like everything. Um, there, there's been questions over the years that I've been training dog, who's the best dog trainer, who's the best this, who's the best that? Well, the answer to that question is I don't know. Um, I haven't met the best dog trainer. I've met people who are, are brilliant at the time um, and either go on to maintaining brilliance or fading into oblivion. Um, but I've also seen other people who have been around them or come from a, um, a, a different different community that have uh, have also been brilliant in their way. But I certainly haven't met the best trainer in the world. I haven't met the best at this, the best at that. Um, you might agree or disagree. I don't know. But um, mm, it's it, that's such a hard topic to cover. Like, it's too, there's too many objective standards to. Um, to dog training, mm. that someone who's exceptional at one, um, maybe terrible at another, and not through necessarily trying and failing, just having no interest. Yeah. So that's um, how would you ever name anyone as the world's best dog trainer? I, I regularly say that I think that Bart is arguably the world's best dog trainer, and I like I don't just as a generalist. MBBK um, is his sport, <clears throat> but to understand a dog and what motivates it is is the key to being a, a dog trainer. Um, but as I say, a lot of people who are phenomenal at one thing, it's not that they're bad at another, they just don't want to do it. Mm. Um, and so you can never compare them against someone who does want to do that other thing. So I think you're right. I think we'll never know and they'll never be the world's best dog trainer or the best trainer uh, around. There's people who are phenomenal at certain things, mm. um, for sure. Um, for those who, who are listening who don't know who Pat was just talking about, he's talking about about Bart Bellin, um, who is a brilliant trainer, no doubt about it. And both Pat and I, Pat and um, his uh, business partner, um, Sam, brought um, Bart Bellin out from um, Belgium um, to do his uh, Nopepo uh, Silver and Gold School, which I um, actively got involved in and found it brilliant and learned a hell of a lot. It doesn't matter what stage of life you're in. Um, you know, when you're learning from people who are very progressive in, in any form of animal training, it's amazing um, what you can learn from people, especially people who are, um, as I said, very progressive and um, have achieved runs on the board. Uh, Bart was world champion. Yeah, MBBK, Belgian champ. Yeah. Um, which I guess is world champ for Belgian sport. Yeah. Um, I think just on that, I don't talk about it too much, but that school, the silver school, in that room we had... Um, First-time dog owners, um, who are not trainers, just dog owners, all the way through to special forces, military working dog mm. handlers, all at the first lunch break, just going, "Wow, can't, this is this is amazing." Um, so it's it's that's the diversity in dog training. I mean, that's why I argue that Bart is the world's best, and that because he's talking to a, an audience so diverse in that room, mm. everything like hunters, sports competitors police, military working dog, to just general pet owners and blowing all their minds in a way that they all understand. Um, so that's the generalist that I, I, I mean. And if you watch him, if you watch any videos of him training his dogs, um, you, it's poetry. Oh, you can't fight, you can't, it, you couldn't watch it and not be impressed. Yeah. I mean, even if you if you weren't a fan of Bart, you couldn't look at it and, and sit there and say, you know, this, yeah. is, this is not good. I say for... For people like us that are really into dog training and understand what you're seeing or like to think you understand that you know what you see when you see it, the video of Bart and Thor um, that I posted once, uh, 
Oh, that, that's brilliant. It's, yeah, that, that is that's a brilliant video. For a dog trainer, the modern equivalent of like getting to watch Michelangelo sculpt the David. Yeah. That is um, just there's so many layers to, and it's so complex, but it makes it appear so simple that yep. you, it, it makes it look like anyone could just get grab a dog and go and do that. Mm. Um, and it's just uh, amazing talent, amazing. Mm. Um, anyway, that's we digress. That's another story altogether. That's another podcast altogether. Yeah, it um, absolutely is. I mean, yeah, we could talk about that um, over a couple of podcasts. There's there's plenty of um, plenty that we could go on there. So uh, where do we get to anyway? I've I've lost track. You, I was bullshitting working, on it. Yeah, you are working for Boyd now at at ADT. Oh yeah, so I was working for Boyd at ADT, and um, long and story. You're, and you're now accepted back in the family because you're on TV. That's right. I was. Why were you on TV? Um, we were doing a. Uh, there was a segment on um, on whether dogs should be taught to bite or not, and uh, um, I think it was the equivalent of a current affair or today tonight. They came out and did an interview with us, and um, uh, Harley, my dog, was uh, the the pretty much the star of the show. Um, so that he was doing a lot of the work, um, walking around crowds, doing what's called a hold and bark, where Boyd was wearing a sleeve, and uh, you know we had families, kids, adults, and uh, he was walking around through all the group and Harley was hunting him down and, and doing a hold and bark with him the whole time. Uh, he was probably the epitome of of, um, of a brilliant dog that was very, very clear in his training early in the day. Um, and I would have to say that a lot of the early notoriety that I achieved was through attention through Harley. So Harley sort of catapulted me into a whole different arena um, because when people looked at him and was watching him working, they were saying, you know, tell me more about the guy on the end of the lead. So um, I was I was quite fortunate, which is, it's it's quite a funny story that um, I've, I've met a lot of people who haven't succeeded much in their life at many things, but they've gone, gained some pretty fast notoriety through their dogs and um, it can have a pretty adverse effect on you mm. if you're not ready for that type of... of um, attention which certainly happened to me early in the day um i kind of um got um thrown into a bit of a, a trainer spotlight so to speak um suddenly realized that i had um quite a lot of attention being a young guy getting a lot of attention um suddenly you you think you're um god's gift to to anybody but um it was uh it was all learning experience nonetheless and um it wasn't until I met a guy called Alec Jones, who was another mentor of mine in teaching me Schutzen, which is now known as IPO. So Alec came along, met me at the club one day, and he said, mate, you're actually a pretty good trainer. Um, do you know much about dog sport? And I said, oh, yeah. I was bullshitting him. I didn't know. I'd, I'd watched a few videos and a few Lieberg tapes, but had never actively been involved in any type of dog sport, hadn't done any of the precision obedience, hadn't done any of the tracking. Um, <clears throat> and saying that, we were teaching dogs, um, which was through ADT, through Boyd's group and so forth, we were teaching dogs how to um, hunt um, um, people in factory scenarios. So we're doing a lot of air scenting work, but I'd never done precision tracking, footstep tracking. So I knew the theory on it. I'd never done it, but I didn't want to... Um, I wanted to save face. I didn't want to let people know that I didn't know what I was talking about. So I just said, yeah, yeah, I knew it. Um, so Alex said to me, okay, um, challenge accepted. Come down to our, um, our obedience club 
um, which at the time I think was called um, Eagle. No, it's called Eagle Heights now or something like that. But at the time I think it was called Select Schutzen or something. So I went down there and I was watching the guys training out in the field and right there and then I realised I'm in hot water here. Yeah. I have no idea what I'm going to do. And um, Alec, being Alec, um, and he didn't do this to... Uh, that's my dog's going crazy out there. Throw it down. It's, it's a podcast. Yeah, we're... Training. Yeah. So Alec being Alec, he was... Um, he, was um, he said, all right, um, so show me how to, how to lay a track. And um, I started proceeding to do um, a bastardized version of what a track would look like. And he just said, all right, mate, just, just stop. And um, he said, you, you don't know. Just take that shovel off you. Yeah, you doing. yeah, pretty much. Yeah. I, well, I mean, I was, I was pretty much at rock bottom and I grabbed a pick and kept going. <laughs> so he, um, he politely pulled me aside and he said, look, I, I know you don't know what you're doing. He said, what, what? he said, rather than bullshit to people about what you don't know. He said, why don't you just go back to the drawing board and start learning? And he said, you know, you can have some fun and you can meet new people and, and uh, try it out. One skill that I was very good at was um, teaching dogs. Um, I was very good at bike work development. So um, that was a skill that I obtained very early on, but um, tracking and precision obedience weren't my forte at the time. I'd taught my dog a lot of complex skills. I'd done some fantastic work, but um, this was a whole new arena that was opening up to me. So once I started um, heading down there and, and um, becoming a bit more interested in the club, I soon found out there was another world outside of what I actually knew at the time. <coughs> Typical day you do a podcast, you've got uh, frog in your throat. So yeah, I, I quickly found out that there was a there was a whole new arena in training. Um, something that I hadn't uh, um, seen before, been actively involved in before, and it was absolutely blowing my mind. So I was, at that point in time, I was torn between two loves of being involved in the professional circuit and being involved in the in the sports circuit. So, um, you know, I, uh, I um, since purchased another dog. Uh, Alec actually helped me find a, another Roddy breeder who was breeding Sportline Rottweilers, the lady named... Joy Bells, who was um, who was and still is a bit of a legend in the in the Rottweiler in the working Rottweiler world, and uh, I went up and met her. Purchased this fantastic little female called Gammon, and um, she was just she was a tiny little Rottweiler, but just unbelievable, just so full of energy and so full of vigor. But um, I I did quite well with her, but I I also squashed her a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. I found out that she was a, um, a different dog than Harley. It was a great learning curve for me because Harley was as hard as nails. There's nothing that you could do or say to him that would um, that would block him from any type of training. Whereas with Gammon, a little bit different. She was uh, she was quite sensitive, um, very hard in some ways, but uh, as a as a um, a relationship between her handler and herself. Um, I had to had to work out how to retrain a dog, mm-hmm. which was um, which was quite a thing um, when you're actually working on your training systems. Is realizing that you have to be very flexible about your approach on how you're training dogs. Train the dog in front of you. Train the dog in front of you exactly, and um, which also led me into you know transitioning into training different breeds of dogs because primarily with working at these two training centres. My focus was on working dogs, not on pet dogs. 
So later on life, after my um, my career with um, with Australian dog training, and then into um, into Schutzen, uh, I started to evolve into the pet dog training market. And I remember, you know, like meeting these little white fluffies and thinking, "How do you train those?" <laughs> You know, and uh, why do you train those? Why do you train those, and how do you train those? And and um, you know, I started working with a few other people that were showing me that um, you know not everything was the killer method of, of training. Um, and those who don't know, um, <coughs> Bill Keeler, he was um, or people call it the cold method of training, but I've since found out it's pronounced Keeler. But um, the Keeler method of training back then was was very much compulsive based training, which mm-hmm. was um, pretty much hands on crash and bash type of training. So um, originally, my um, introduction to training was working with hard dogs, working with dogs that that did need um, a little bit of movement in, in training. However, I soon found out that working with pet dogs was entirely different, mm-hmm. and um, not only were they um, intolerable to that type of training, it wasn't progressive for their situation. So I had to once again evolve into becoming a new trainer, which is for me, I, I think this is one of the best things about being a trainer is the evolution of who you become. It's like being a person. And I used this example the other day when I was talking to some people um, over at the IACP conference. It's like somebody who's known you all their life, but only seen you when you were 10. Um, They've known you, but then they see you again at 20, and then they see you again at 30. And then they say something ridiculous to you, which they often say is, I know you, I know who you are. Well, they might have known who you were at 10, and they might have known who you were at 20, and they might have known who you are at 30. But there's a transition in your life that you change. I mean, the cells in your body are different. You're changing all the time. You're becoming a new person. You might be that person in a lot of ways, but also you're a different person in a lot of ways as well. You've migrated into becoming someone entirely new. And that's what who I find is people in the training circuit as well who've been in it for a long time. If they've kept the hat in the ring, they people say, oh, you know, he's a compulsion-based trainer. He's this, he's that. Well, that's an ignorant statement to make because... A lot of people, if they are interested in training, they become diversified in doing a lot of different styles and um, analyzing different systems that are out there. Hence why I wanted to do Bart's course. I wanted to learn what Bart knows uh, about training. I wanted to um, pick his brain. Um, And why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you want to go and work with with great people? And it doesn't matter what your um, ethos is in training. It doesn't matter who you um, who you are. If you're great at what you're doing and um, you're able to teach other people how to how to do that, I'm interested in learning from you. You know, it doesn't matter if you're five minutes in tra- in training or fifty years. If you've got a if you've got a great style, if you understand what you're doing, if you can translate that into uh, a, a practical session with a dog um, and have great communication, which is effectively what it's all about, I want to know. Mm. I'm happy to put the student hat on. It's, it's funny you say that um, the cells in your body change and change a different person. So I had my hesitations about doing a podcast in that, like, this is recorded, it'll be out there, people will listen to it. And in five years, I might not agree with anything that I'm going to say. On Absolutely. Um, and it's just, it's important to know that. I think everyone changes, everyone's entitled to change, and you should. Mm. Um, 
I even see, you know, when Facebook comes up with the memories of like things you've done, and I've seen stuff from me training dogs just a couple of years ago, and I think, what was I doing? What was I and, wearing? And yeah, what was I, I had hair. And, I, and I'm posting stuff, and I'm looking at it and thinking, and I thought this was good enough to show people. Mm. Um, so it's important to remember, everyone changes. It, like, and, and if you're too rigid in your opinions, rigid opinions are a problem. Mm. Like you really, if you're going to say, and I think for me is what, like definitely, if I say, no, this is how I feel about something, you can bet your ass I've thought about it a long time if I'm going to say, no, I'm, I'm not movable on this. Mm. Like to really be that rigid, because I think you have to be open to not suggestion, but open to the idea that you could be wrong because chances are you probably are on everything, you know, uh, and it's your, you're working with the best that you have for now until someone figures out something better. This is the best I've got for now and it's working for now, mm. but it doesn't mean I'm at the, uh, I've got to close my eyes to the possibility that something could be better, which making that not necessarily wrong, but just still not the, the best and there could be better out there. So that's why I was, I, I I'm glad I got to say it in the first episode that that's something that, you know, when you give your opinions and they're reported, mm. Mm. you just never know when in five years and I'm saying, no, 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 clickers don't work because of some new thing. And now we hear saying, no, I use clicker all the time. It's the most important tool. Well, funny thing about clickers is um, I remember early in the piece um, when Karen Pryor's work started coming more proficient in training. And I remember... Um, watching somebody working a dog with a clicker and I thought that is the stupidest thing I've ever seen in my life. You know, what an absolute gimmick. That'll never go anywhere. And I wasn't alone in thinking that. A lot of people sat around with their arms crossed, you know, typically mocking something that they didn't want to understand. Yeah. And, you know, that's um, we're going to talk about the, the term cognitive dissonance um, quite a lot, Be you know, in the coming um, seminars. If you don't know what it is, go online and, and research it because we will be talking about it. And that's one area that I'm ashamed to have been a part of that judgment early in my career as I looked at it and thought it was stupid and anybody that was doing it is stupid. And now I'm an active campaigner that if you aren't using market training, you're an idiot. How many hundreds or probably thousands of people have you personally taught how to use a clicker? Th thousands. <laughs> like, you know, without sounding egotistical in training, I've, I've I mean you know, hundreds and hundreds of professional trainers that are doing the NDTF course with me as their instructor. I am coaching them on how to market train dogs with clickers, whistles, um, verbal cues, whatever we're doing. And I'm, you know, and, and again, Pat, to say what you, to, to talk about what you were talking about earlier is that, you know, we do actively involve, if, if you don't evolve, you die, you yeah. know, and that's, that's the, that's the progressive part of nature is, you know, evolution is, is, essential to survival and it's, it's certainly essential in careers as well and um i don't know what that was it sounded like cow shaking yeah jurassic park um but um it's it's it is actually essential in, in um your progression as a as a um as a professional even as a sporting amateur or whatever you're doing is that you so need just a person that owns a dog as a person that owns a dog so it doesn't matter what you're in you, you need to look at at that and, and, you know, like going back again on that, I've seen people in um, who've written books and they've re-released it called the revised edition mm. because they've reread their material and thought, uh, that was what I was thinking at the time. Um, new material has since come out and or cultures have changed in their understanding of, of um, 
whatever the topic is that I'm, I'm preaching about and they've revised their, their edition of their manual and they might have done you know, several revisions over the years where they've re-released the book several times. I know people who won't even write a book who have actually sat down, put words on paper but won't publish it because they reread it and think, oh, I don't know what I was thinking. Mm. The material is good. But, you know, it's, I, I think sometimes you just have to um, go with what you know until you know better. That's it. And there is a good saying. Um, it's, uh, I think the, uh, the author is um, uh, Angela Mayo or something like that. I'll have to look it up. But um, she says, um, I don't even know what she says now. Is it once you know better, you have to do better? That's, that's the one, yeah. Do the best you can. Um, it, until you know better, and when you know better, do better. It's it's something along those lines. Um, ridiculous that I didn't actually know that because it's one of my favourite quotes. Um, <laughs> You're on so, the spot. There's twelve. Yeah, people. and I've got to give credit to the to the lady who actually said that because I think it's one of the most brilliant quotes. Yeah, um, definitely. It's one of my all time favourites, and it's one that I um, I um, preach to many people that are uh, I'm working with because I, I think it's it, it summarises everything what we just talked about in the last ten minutes. So, so back to you. You're you're now training pet dogs with Alec Jones, and you're doing sport, doing Schutzen back in the day. Yeah, so I was doing Schutzen with uh, with Alec, um, who was like I said, great friend, great mentor, and still is. Um, I'm still in regular contact with Alec. Lovely bloke, um, and he was, um, you know, um, very much a a catalyst in my lifeline of of being a trainer in in teaching me to to diversify in what I know. So I. I Effectively, um, I, I, I actually had a little bit of a mini breakdown at that point in time. I got a little bit of um, a depression at that point in time, and I had a, um, pretty much a two-year sabbatical from, from training. I just left it um, and just started walking away from it, and um, which was kind of a shame because I just set up my own company called Master Dog Training, and we were involved in boarding and training programs. We were... Um, you know, we had all sorts of um, security contracts with dogs and so forth. And I was just in the heyday of my career. It was going well. I started building um, a school up, had some great people I was working with. And yeah, just at that point in time, I just hit rock bottom. And um, just a combination of things, early childhood issues and, um, you know, working with with um, people over the years, just as it does, it just wears away on you, and it, and it sort of got it got at me, and I just dropped it, and I um, I walked away from the whole scene, and just got a job working as a storeman in the factory. Um, I didn't want to do anything; I just wanted to disappear. Mm-hmm. So I effectively did that. I changed my phone number, disappeared, left the left the world behind me, and stopped talking to people and um, everybody that I was involved in in the training community. Left the whole lot, and um, it was just. By chance, uh, over a dog that I sold somebody as a as a security dog, um, they rang me up and were discussing it with me, and I had to ring Boyd to talk to him about it. And um, he said, "Mate, where have you been? You know what's going on? Um, what have you been doing?" And we got chatting again, and I threw my hat back in the ring and thought, "What am I doing here? You know, I'm working a job that I hate, doing things that I hate, working with people that I don't enjoy working with," and um, my calling was always getting back into dogs. Mm-hmm. So um, for the next um, seven or eight years, I actually went back and amalgamated my what was left of my business back with Boyd 
and went back working with ADT. ADT was still going there, but it went in a whole, uh, it was in an entire different direction. We were back in pet dog training again. Um, there were a lot of rules and regulations that uh, started to kick in in Victoria back at the time, and it started off as what was called the Dangerous Dog Legislation, which is now called the Companion Animal Act. But um, effectively it says, you know, you can't train a dog for um, sport or protection um, unless the dog is declared dangerous and there are like a myriad of different rules and regulations. So it just made it unseemly to want to get involved in that, which is effectively what the government wanted to do. They just yeah. wanted to, you know... Phase it out. Without, phase it out. Without banning it outright. Pretty much. So they were saying you can still... It's like owning a firearm in Australia. You're allowed to do it, but there are a lot of conditions and a lot of... Um, um, sticking points that make it very difficult. So, um, you, like I said, you can do it, but it's just a lot of hard work. So, effectively, Australian Dog Training evolved into a pet dog training organisation. And might I say, it did it very well. We were the largest professional dog training organisation in Australia. We had something like seven or eight dog training centres. Um, I um, amalgamated two of my centres in there, so which added to the, the size of it. We had... Um, thousands of clients. We had um, the largest base of professional dog trainers, which we had full-time and part-time trainers on board. So I was the um, training director there at the time. Um, and yeah, I, I loved working with those group of people. It wasn't as exciting for me. I wouldn't say as good, but it wasn't as exciting for me as it was in the earlier days when we were doing law enforcement training. Mm -hmm. I think that was the best of the best. That was, I think that's when I actually hit my peak in, in, in training was because it was the, the most exciting for me. We were working, you know, there were anywhere between 50 and 100 dogs on the field. We were working in, in protection or law enforcement training and it was absolutely brilliant. The, the, um, the public side of it, the pet dog training side was great. We worked with a great group of people. We had um, pretty much the, the pick of the pack from the NDTF graduates um, so anybody who showed real promise we were working with them they became um, student trainers and effectively um, came on board as trainers as they evolved in their own careers so I actually got to watch people grow and blossom in their own careers as they were coming on board you know and some of those people either stayed on board and stayed with ADT or they left and started their own organizations and you know proudly I can say that I've been involved in some careers with people where um, they've started off as students and they've actually become very, very proficient trainers and effective business people. Um, and it's, it's, been, um, it's been absolutely um, a pleasure and an honour to be uh, a, a part of that myself. So, um, yeah, so my evolution was um, started with ADT, then went into the, the, the dog sport ring, went back to ADT, um, I was there for about seven or eight years, and um, at that stage there was, um, I think, the world financial crisis hit or something like that, and we were looking at ridiculous insurance costs, which pretty much put us out of business. Um, we got to a stage where we were very large, and um, it was um, effectively unmanageable at that point in time, which was heartbreaking. Um, Australian Dog Training enjoyed a, um, a professional business life of about 21, 22 years. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I remember being a part of the, um, the 20th year anniversary, you know, where we, you know, we all got together. So trainers from the old school days and trainers from the new school days all got together and celebrated and 
and um, spent a good time together, but you know, all good things must come to an end. So from there, um, um, I did leave out the Roddy Club part as well, which I um, should on talk purpose about. Or? No, no, not on purpose. I actually enjoyed the my time at the Roddy Club. Um, I during the time of being involved in ADT, I was um, second time round. I was actually um, asked to come and help revive the, the Rottweiler Club training in Victoria. Um, a good friend of mine, Michael, uh, Michael, good friend of mine, Simon Ward, and um, the then president, uh, Mick Svelchek, were looking at ways of reviving because it was just absolutely hitting rock bottom. There were probably about four or five people turning up to training, and we had this magnificent um, training um, pavilion available to us, which is um, AMKC or, or KCC Park, I should say, down in Cranbourne in Victoria. Beautiful place, great big shed. And it's, it's effectively an aeroplane hangar. And we had that to ourselves on Wednesday night. And there were like four or five people turning up. So um, with myself and Simon and a few other dedicated people, we, we went back down there and effectively turned it from five people into about 60 people mm-hmm. um, by um, changing some of the dynamic about what we were doing down there, um, creating a bit more of a professional environment rather than making people feel like if you're part of the club, you have to trial your dog, um, which I think was what people were misinterpreting in the old days is that if you have to be there, then you're going to be, get um, forced to go into a training ring. What we said to them is if you own a Rottweiler and you're part of the Rottweiler club, come on down. If you've got a second dog that's not a Rottweiler but you're, you're a member, bring that dog with you. It would be great for socialisation. It would be great for um, you know incorporating the club. That created a bit of friction. Mm-hmm. Um, the old, um, the old guard weren't too thrilled about the fact that I was opening the doors to allowing other breeds to come in. However, what it did do was it allowed Rottweilers to socialize with dogs outside their own breed, um, which was extremely effective because we made the, the Rottweiler club a sanctuary for, um, Rottweilers of any disposition to be able to come down, whether they were extremely friendly or horrendously aggressive. We said to people, this is a school. It's for um, transitioning a dog from a badly behaved or an uneducated dog into a better behaved or an educated dog. So we gave people that um, um, that that sanctuary feeling that that's exactly what it was for. And people felt safe. They felt wanted. Um, they actually enjoyed the fellowship that we created down there. And we created that professional environment as well where we were um, allowing people to come and learn um, in a safe environment with other Rottweilers and with Rottweiler specialists that actually understood and knew the breed, um, how to transition their dog from from whatever issue that they were dealing with into becoming um, a dog that they could enjoy as a family pet or that they could go on and trial. So we promoted trialing. We had a lovely lady and a great friend of mine and a um, an exceptional um, professional handler and great show person, a lady named Dawn Aiton, who was um, um, primarily a, um, a, a Doberman enthusiast. But Dawn's um, progressed into um, shepherds, roddies, um, pretty much anything. She's, um, she, I mean, she was very much one dynamic lady and uh, in some ways um, a mentor as well, watching her um, work with dogs and and um, and her uh, progression herself over the years is, is was very enlightening as a as a young trainer or even a um, um, 
a seasoned trainer, um, like I said, you can learn from a lot of people over a lot of different aspects, and I, I certainly learned a lot from Dawn as well. But um, she was um, she was very much a catalyst in coming down and, and helping out, getting people in the ring. So while we were setting off in the distance um, with puppy schools going, with basic, intermediate, advanced classes, we would also have a ring set up in the in the shed where Dawn would be um, um, coming out and helping people learn how to better trial their dogs. Mm-hmm. So we were bringing in people, guest judges from um, from uh, AMKC style that would come in and, and sit down there and do uh, mock judging for people so they could learn. There is a, 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 another way to represent the breed. You can actually go in there and uh, throw your hat in the trial ring as well. So we had a we had a fantastic time down there, but um, I had to leave that behind because I was actually coming up here. I got the um, offer to come and leave Victoria after um, living there for 40 years and after being heavily involved in in um, developing a, a, a training family and a training relationship with, with some fantastic and brilliant people to come to a state where I had no real foothold, didn't know anyone, um, had um, some hostility on, on the end of coming in here because I started at Pet Resorts. There was some transitioning out of some um, former people that were involved in it and the transition of me coming in, which was a little bit unpopular at the time. However... So when was that? What year was that? That was... <clears throat> what are we now? 2018? 17. So, 17. God, <laughs> geez, I'm, I'm all over the place. So 2017, that was 2010. So I was here in, in 2010, and um, it it took a little time to um, to get things under wrap here. There were um, there were some systems in place that um, weren't effective or conducive to um, running the business the way it needed to be run. Um, however, um, my so what is your title here? General manager. Of Pet Resorts. Of Pet Resorts Australia. Right. And Canine Evolution, which is our training company. Mm-hmm. So um, I actually work for um, a guy, Dave, who's um, my boss and also my, one of my best mates. Um, absolutely fantastic guy. And he pretty much said to me from the get-go, it's yours to run. Um, do what you need to do. Um, but we have a, a, a great system where we consult each other on everything. Perfect. David doesn't... Um, make any decisions without um, running it by me and I don't make any decisions without letting him know what I'm doing. So um, he has also in his time transitioned from somebody who's effectively just been, had an interest in dogs and uh, a a business background into effectively getting to know the the kennel industry and the pet industry himself. I've dragged him along to um, seminars um, over in the states, um, also in in Australia. I'm, um, you know, since coming on board with this, I've also become the regional or the Australian director for boarding, daycare, pet sitting, and training for the Pet Industry Association of Australia. So um, I kind of needed that responsibility, like a hole in the head. But it's also <laughs> um, just with everything that's going on. It's not that I don't believe in it because I certainly do. I think it's um, I think it's something that um, we needed in our industry, but um, you know we've we've had uh, seminars and and um, which is called uh, Osboard, which I've um, taken Dave along to, and he's learned a great deal about it. He's very um, enthusiastic to you know know what 
um, what the industry involves and how to build a better kennel and how to look after dogs better and how to motivate staff more. So it's been um, it, it's been a great evolution for him as well as me, of course. Um, you know, I'm still learning and still enthusiastic about it. And the great thing is, is that David's always encouraged me to keep my hat in the training ring, which is why you and I, um, uh, or how you and I actually met. Mm-hmm. Um, we, so that's where we should point out, I don't work here. We're not financially. No, no, no. We're, we're just two mates. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're, um, Pat's got his own, um, own company and, and uh, has been doing his own thing for quite a while. So in the next episode, we'll talk to Pat about his stuff. Um, but uh, yeah, we're, we're not financially involved, but we are in a club together, which is um, a recent addition to everything else that we actually do, which is called Iron Fist PSA. That's right. Yep. And um, we'll probably do a bit more podcasting about PSA. Yeah, that'll PSA. be my story again. Yeah. Yeah. So in a nutshell, it's been um, about 26, 27 years now um, in training. Um sometimes extremely and excessively involved and other times uh, more in the background of, of teaching other people how to do it. But nonetheless, it's been a fascinating... And where do you fit on that spectrum now? Um, I'm more in the background a little bit, but I, I pick and choose where I want to go. Mm-hmm. And that's the great thing about my position and where I am at this point in time is that if I want to be more heavily involved in training, I can be. If I don't want to be, if I want to break from it, I can move into the background a little bit more. But um, there are certain things and certain interests um, that um, spike my interest. Um, the working dog side has always been my passion. I, I, I'm not going to um, mislead anybody and say that um, you know my my um, enthusiasm has been in in um, in training dogs how to sit and drop. Um, My enthusiasm is in difficult cases, canine aggression, um, weird behavioral problems that dogs come up with, and certainly the the sporting aspect of dog training. That's that's my um, peak enthusiasm right there. Mm -hmm. Mm. Cool. Awesome. Mm. Well, what are we at? Nearly an hour now. Yeah, we're nearly at an hour. And I, I mean, look, I could wrap it on, and there's like lots of stories that I could tell, which will probably just bullshit on about in other episodes but um well that's us so that's the first episode that's the, the first episode canine paradigm that's the first episode of the canine paradigm um stay tuned for another one mm. um we'll be releasing them when we feel like it we're not on a schedule mm. uh, when we've got something worth saying we'll put one out we've got someone worth talking to we'll put one out yeah um but we're going to talk about you in the next one so yes. we have got um a, a topic filler for the next one and you know it'll uh we can talk about your transition into becoming a professional trainer. Yeah. So mm-hmm. by now, we've got the website, thecanineparadigm.com. The yep. Uh, we're on Facebook, The Canine Paradigm. Um, check us out. Shoot us a message. Tell us whether you liked it or not, listened or not. If there's more than 12 people, we'll be stoked. That'd be awesome. Cool. Okay. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Pat. Ciao. Bye.